You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning again. We are super excited for Holy Week. Uh, as Brett said, Good Friday service is going to be very meaningful, a little bit different. We'll start with communion and then walk through uh, the passion of Christ that evening. And then Easter Sunday, we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to reach out to friends, family. Uh, Also, we have already five baptisms planned for Easter. So that'll make Easter just a bit more uh, exceptional, memorable. And we're thanking the Lord for his work. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 21. And uh, if you're a guest, uh, our approach at West Wind is simply to go through books of the Bible. So we have been in the book of Acts for uh, close to a year. We'll be landing the plane early summer and then starting into an Old Testament book, the book of Malachi, which is going to be a beautiful study about our covenant love relationship with God. And so Acts 21, um, one of the ongoing questions that... I've gotten over the years in pastoral ministry is this. What is the will of God for my life? Have you ever thought about that or ever asked that question? It's a pretty common question in pastoral ministry. And so, thankfully, God's word is very clear. But let me show you a passage in uh, the book of Acts uh, 21. And if you're there... Uh, This is verses 13 and 14, but let me catch you up. Basically, the introduction to chapter 21 is a travel log. And so Paul's coming off of his third missionary journey. He's heading to Jerusalem, and there are warnings. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, guess what? It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. There's going to be persecution. In fact, your life is on the line. Sound familiar? The apostle Paul experienced a lot of hardship in kingdom work. And so basically they said, don't go. They were pleading with them. Look what Paul's response was. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die. Die for what? For the gospel. In Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped talking and simply said, the Lord's will be done. This is Luke. This is firsthand interaction with the Apostle Paul. Luke was pleading, don't go. And then finally, they just stopped talking, and they all resigned themselves to this beautiful picture, the Lord's will be done. Now, again, uh, over the years, I've seen that people uh, try to uh, navigate this mysterious thing called God's will. I have good news for you this morning, and it's in the title, The title of this morning's message, Found God's Will, Living God's Purposes and Plan for Your Life. Friends, this is exciting news because you don't have to just wander around wondering if you're doing the will of God. Today, you could absolutely be convinced if you live according to scripture, you're doing the will of God. Now, I do want to begin by approaching it um, with some misconceptions that I think are typical among people. And so there's three that I want to highlight this morning. The first misconception is this, that God's will is somehow boring. And that's out there, folks. I uh, shared the gospel, the good news of Christianity with a dear family member. 
And he understood it, it made sense, but his response was, you know what? It would just interrupt my lifestyle. I can't make that kind of commitment. And basically, the thought was, God's a cosmic killjoy. Somehow he doesn't have my best in mind that the partying scene, the stuff in this world is better than walking with God and knowing as well. You know what Jesus says to that? John 10, 10, it's beautiful. Jesus says, I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. This is the abundant life, folks. I came to faith in Christ out of pretty uh, challenging teenage years, and boy, the abundance, the trajectory of new life in Christ, I can testify is wonderful. You know what King David had to say about this? He said, I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written in my heart. David didn't look at God as a cosmic killjoy. David says, I long to do it. Why? There's abundance, there's joy in doing the will of God. Now, second misconception, that God's will is discovered somehow dramatically. And it seems kind of neat, like, wow, God showed up, and I know as well. But picture this. Picture a new coffee shop in the neighborhood. You know I love coffee. And so you frequent the place, and you walk in, and, and there's uh, the coffee of the day. It's Kona coffee from Hawaii. And man, you're excited, licking your chops. You walk up to the counter, and the barista is Hawaiian, wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Wow. You get your coffee, Kona, you sit down at the table, you boot up your laptop, and the first thing that comes across the screen is an advertisement. Come to Hawaii. No vaccines needed. Masks are over. And then the aha moment. I know God's will. I'm supposed to serve him in Hawaii. You book a ticket, you're on your way. Now, folks, you know me. I do believe in divine appointments. And I do believe God shows up sometimes. But generally speaking, that's just not how it works. You know what happened in Jesus' ministry? He raises Lazarus from the grave. And you know what they asked him? Hey, give us another sign. Show us another spectacle. And then maybe we'll believe. Jesus said, there's only one more sign. The death, burial, and resurrection of my life. That's it. So be discerning on the dramatic. Third, that God's will is mysteriously hidden. And again, I think this is probably more normal than not. But somehow we have to explore his will. Let me share with you a few thoughts on this. Number one, back to King David, Psalm 143, verse 1. David wrote, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. Notice, David did not pray, teach me to find your will. Teach me to know your will. You know what his focus was? Teach me, Lord, to do your will. In other words, he believed the will of God was revealed. I just want to do it. I want to obey it. I want to lean into it. How cool to follow up. One day, Jesus' disciples came to him. Lord, teach us to pray. You familiar how he responded? It's a beautiful thing that he says. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come and notice... Your will be done. Jesus, too, believed that God's will was revealed. He just wanted to live in that. It's called obedience of faith. Romans 1, Romans 16. It's Philippians 2, that Jesus lived obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the scriptural focus is real simple. 
not necessarily discovering the mysterious will, but living the revealed will of God. And so, one other encouragement, Good Friday's coming. They celebrate the Passover meal, which becomes communion. And the first thing they do is they cross the Kidron Valley, and they go into a place called Gethsemane. He asks his disciples, watch and pray. It's a time of agony. And then what happens? He's sweating drops of blood. And he says this. It's an incredible statement. Jesus, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. The cup of death. The cup of suffering. The cup of Calvary. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Can I encourage you this morning? It's a real simple truth. If we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, pursue the will of God. Be like Jesus. He knew the Father's will and he leaned into it. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. And they're absolutely connected. And so now if you have your connect card, let me share with you the blessing. Because according to Revelation and other passages, God gives his word to bless us. He's not a cosmic killjoy. And so the blessing is this. Because God has revealed this well, each one of us can live God's purposes and plan for our life. This morning, I'm going to share with you five things that are absolutely revealed in God's word. If you lean into these five things, boom, you'll be doing the will of God. You'll find your purpose and plan, and there's great joy. So, revelation number one, it's God's will that you be saved. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. It's God's will that you be saved. In other words, the starting point for living in the will of God for your life begins with salvation. I came to faith in Christ at age 19. Prior to that, I did very little of the will of God. Why? I was doing the will of Keith. And so you come to faith in Christ. Let me show you the passage, 1 Timothy 2. This is beautiful. Paul's writing, his son in the faith, Timothy, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Notice salvation is linked to truth. The truth of what? The gospel, Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. God wants, he is passionate about the salvation of lost people. What a gift. Now, if you're struggling to embrace that, let me share with you a picture. Again, I tried to connect today to Holy Week. Picture uh, Calvary. It's Friday. As best we can discern, it's 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. We have seven recorded things that he said at Calvary. Two thieves, one on his right, one on his left, were being crucified too. Let me show you how these thieves addressed Jesus as Jesus was being crucified. Matthew 27, 44 says this. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him, notice the phrase, kept taunting him. Notice the word plural, criminals. Both criminals were mocking uh, confronting Christ and, and really just getting in his face, if you will. But something happened in the first three hours. And folks, I have a hunch what it is. One of the criminals saw 
the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ in such a beautiful way. You know what the first thing that Jesus said from Calvary? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about the implications of that. I mean, you were just brutally treated, flogged, whipped with on the back with iron, glass, and metal. Your back is just ravaged. Crown of thorns in your head. They torqued his beard. They beat him up. And he is hanging there in agony. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I believe this with all my heart. One of the thieves on the cross had a heart change. First he's mocking. First he's tormenting Christ. Now look at his response. Luke 23 records this. He says to the other criminal, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. In other words, we're criminals, we're guilty. This is just right for us to be here. But notice what he says about Jesus. But this man has done nothing wrong. And folks, this next statement is remarkable. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Does that sound outrageous? Here's this capital criminal in Rome being crucified publicly, initially mocking and taunting Jesus, and now he has a heart change. I deserve what I'm giving. That's, that's just honest. That's brokenness. And then he looks to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He realized Jesus was the king. He realized Jesus had something to offer for all eternity. In essence, what he did was he recognized his sin. He turned from his sin, that's repentance, and he put his faith and trust in Jesus. Now, friends, I would contend this morning that is an outrageous request. In a few hours, you're dying, and now you want to go to heaven? It's an outrageous request, but you know what's more outrageous than that? Check out Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> I tell you, what a great day for the thief. Man, if I was that capital criminal and my heart was broken over my sin, I turned from my sin, I recognized I'm at fault. Jesus, remember me, help me. When you go into your kingdom, can I come too? Yes, you can. In the final hours of Christ's life, what is he doing? He's seeking and saving lost people. Why? It pleases God our Father to bring salvation. What a blessing. And so may I ask this morning, are you saved? Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from yourself, like the thief on the cross. Have you recognized your sin, repented of your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ? That is a beautiful day. And folks, that can happen where you sit right now. Lord, I cry out to you, a sinner, save me. Remember me. I want to be with you for all eternity. My dear wife heard the gospel in a church service very similar to this. She went home, knelt at her bed, cried out to the Lord, Lord, I need you, save me. Ellen came to faith in Christ. What a beautiful day. So knowing God's will begins with salvation. Folks, if that doesn't happen, it's almost impossible to even move forward with the next four points. That is the beginning, making that decision to know Christ, to follow him. Secondly, Revelation number two, it's God's will that you be sanctified. Now, please don't uh, get lost in the technical term. Uh, I will explain sanctification, all right? But track with me. First Thessalonians Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, on the screen or in your Bible. 
Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus, just as you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing. Do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, we're talking about God's will. For this is God's will. Non-negotiable, this is absolute. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor. Not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. Now, I know some of you might think the word sanctification is a big word in the Bible. It is. It's a little distant from our typical vocabulary. But you know what it simply means? Set apart. That's all it means. Set apart for God. Set apart for his purposes. Set apart for his glorious will. Let me give you a picture of how that plays out in life. Anybody know this guy? That's the mixer. He got married yesterday. Ellen and I drove up did the wedding, gave him a hug, drove back, here we are. But I'll tell you something, Mickey's a happy kid, right? He's always smiling. He was off the charts. It's smiling happy on steroids. That guy was bouncing off the wall. But what was fun is uh, hearing them share their vows. And what happens when you share your vows? You say one thing to each other. I am set apart for you, Bethany, and for you only. There will be no rivals in our marriage, no competition, no other loves. I am wholly devoted to you. You're number one. That's what it means to be sanctified. We're set apart for God, set apart for his purposes, just like Bethany and Mickey are set apart for each other. That's a beautiful picture, folks. Do you realize that the Bible uses this wonderful metaphor in Scripture that Jesus is the bridegroom, metaphorically, and we are the bride. Sanctification. What a beautiful picture. And so, that's why the Apostle Paul said this in the book of Corinthians. Listen to these beautiful words. Paul says, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He's writing to the church, to you and me. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband, that's Jesus, to present a Pure virgin in Christ. Those are graphic words, but they're beautiful words. The words of holiness we get set apart. In this context, Paul is calling for sexual purity, for honoring God in our sexuality, which is a beautiful gift. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a men's retreat in Ohio, and my topic was from 1 Thessalonians 4. And the title was this, Living Pure in an X-Rated World. And so it's all men, and so we talked about men's stuff, right? And I broached some difficult topics, very difficult, pornography and affairs, and, and the data's not necessarily healthy for our nation and even for the church. So it was a tough retreat, and some guys leaned in, and we had some personal conversations, I got home and the retreat leader, and I've known him for years, and I know most of these guys for years, decades actually, and uh, the retreat leader says, Keith, uh, you created some offense at that retreat. One guy said he felt like you were targeting him. I said, oops. Uh, another guy was just like, you know, these statistics that he put out on porn, and ah, 
And it was just frustrating for some of the guys. I said, well, I'm so sorry. I tried to do my best with a difficult topic, and I understand. Please tell the men, um, you know, I'm sorry it hurt. Well, guess what happened? About a month later, I got a call from the same retreat leader. He's asking for prayer. One of the gentlemen, who I know long, long time, got caught with a prostitute. And I don't like sharing these kind of stories, guys. Ravaged this marriage. She was a leader in the church. And it was hard. It was hard. Keith, can you pray? Of course I can pray. Can you stand with them? Of course I can stand with them. Let's work together. The church came alongside. Friends came alongside. Guess what happened? Healing. Redemption of the marriage. Renewed faith journey. I had the privilege to play around the golf with him a few years ago. And we just had fellowship and there was joy in the Lord. Folks, this is the world in which we live. And God calls us to holiness, to purity, to fidelity, not only in human relationships, but our relationship with the Lord. No rivals. Here's what Peter says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Friends, that's a privilege. All we're saying here is sanctification is being like Jesus. Reflecting the glory of God. Being a fragrance of Christ to others. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. None of us are perfect. But I am talking about direction, fixing your eyes on Jesus. One final story. A number of years ago, I was discipling a student. He's in high school. Jared was probably junior high school. And, he, and we're in a Bible study together. And he says to me, Keith, do you think Pastor Lowry ever sins? This is my senior pastor, my mentor in ministry when I was a youth pastor. Do you think Pastor Lowry ever sins? I was like, wow, that's an interesting question from a teenager about a senior pastor. So I told uh, Pastor Larry about that, and he smiled. He says, well, tell Jared to ask my wife. We know, right? We're on a journey. It's called progressive sanctification. We're not talking about perfection, but direction. But oh, to be like Jesus, that's God's will. To be set apart to God's purposes and glory. Third, it's God's will that you be spirit-filled. And this is such an important point. And folks, I put it in this outline intentionally here. Because if you're like me sometimes, you ever feel defeated? You ever feel like, gosh, man, it just, just feels so weak. It's what scripture says, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. It's what Galatians talks about, the flesh rearing its ugly head. You ever feel like that? Well, the remedy... To overcome the flesh is the spirit-filled or spirit-empowered life, yielding to the work of the spirit. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So let me show you a passage. Again, God's will. It's Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. It really could be through 20. But notice what Paul says. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time why days are evil. This is 2,000 years ago. Not much has changed. So don't be foolish, but check this out. But understand what the Lord's will is. And then he tells us what the Lord's will is. He gives us a metaphor. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the way to live set apart 
live holy, live victorious in Christ, and not foolish like this world, is to be filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now let me camp just a moment on the metaphor. Paul uses a negative metaphor that probably most of us can hang our hat on, right? He says, don't get drunk with wine because it leads to recklessness. And if you've ever had that experience, not recommending it, especially for students down front, if you've ever had that experience when you're drunk, what happens? You're under the influence of alcohol and it controls you and it excites the worldly appetites. That's what Alcohol does. So it's an influencer, and you're yielding your life to that negative substance. So metaphorically, don't do that. But here's the thing, folks. Alcohol is one of hundreds of things that we can yield to in our fleshly appetites. There's hundreds listed in scriptures, and they're sad. So the question really is, how do we live our life Well, the contrast, but be filled with the Spirit, is real simple. Yielding yourself to the Spirit. Walking in cadence with the Spirit. In step. The Spirit's going this way, you go the same way. Bearing forth the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That's the Spirit-filled life. And so you're at crossroads at any point in time during the day. You're going to choose the flesh, you're going to choose the Spirit. It's A or B. To live victorious, we put to death the flesh and the deeds of the flesh, and we walk in the Spirit. Let me show you a beautiful picture of that. Romans 8 9 says this, you, however, are not in the flesh. So Paul's saying to the church, you're not living like that. Notice this, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you, But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And then one more passage from Peter. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Folks, that's victorious living. Everything you and I need to live victorious, to live fruitfully, he has provided. He's provided his spirit who indwells us. We can read his word and yield and say yes. When we have choices to make, we choose the spirit-filled life, the fruit of the spirit. And so, knowing and doing God's will starts with salvation, moves to sanctification, And when you feel defeated, lean into the spirit-empowered life. Number four, it's God's will that you be submissive. Now, the word submissive isn't necessarily embraced in our culture today. So can I give you some synonyms for submission? Reverence, honor, esteem. It's a beautiful word, and yet it seems to have a negative connotation. So let's unpack that in scripture. The passage is 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, chapter 2, 13 through 15. Notice what Peter says. Submit to every human authority. Why? Because of the Lord. You're, You're honoring God when you do this. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him. In other words, God puts people into place. To punish those who do what is evil, to praise those who do what is good. Notice the next phrase, don't miss this. For it is God's will 
that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. What is doing good? Submitting, honoring, respecting, esteeming. As God's slaves or servants, live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. And notice he does use a synonym here. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the empire. I think you would agree with me today that we live in a day of anarchy. The God of freedom. I get to choose what to do with human life. God offers it as a gift. And we discard it because I have the choice. We live kind of like they did in the book of Judges when it says this, every person's doing what's right in their own eyes. Independence is what we value. My will versus God's will. And friends, this is a difficult day. And I didn't spend a whole lot of time on this point, but I want to show you something from two books in the Bible, the book of Ephesians and the book of 1 Peter. Look what... The word of God says about submission, honor, respect, esteem. Number one, the church honors Christ. That's where it all begins. Our goal is to submit to him. Yes, Lord, your will be done. We would embrace that, right? But let's see if we'll embrace the rest of the list. In Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents, submit to your parents, honor your parents. Children, do you hear that? Will, you looking at me? You could say amen. Amen. I mean, like, like an amen. Come on. Amen. All right. What a beautiful thing. I didn't do that very well as a teenager. I didn't understand these principles. I wasn't a Christian. And when a child dishonors their parents, boy, what kind of home do you have? Children, submit, honor, obey, esteem your parents. They're not perfect, right? But God calls us to that. Third, employees, submit to your overseers. Where do we get that? Ephesians 6. There was slavery in the ancient world, folks. And Paul's saying to the slaves, to the servants, guess what? You can testify for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ when you honor your master, when you esteem them. It's God's will. Most of us here, we're employees, right? There's a few employers. Honor, work hard for the Lord. Testify that work is a gift. Respect your overseer. It's God honoring. Fourth, students, submit to teachers, 1 Peter 2. And all the teachers said? There's a few of you there. It's a difficult day to teach, isn't it? The authority has been ripped. The rug's been ripped right out from under our teachers. And it's tough to keep a classroom honorable where learning can take place well when you have that kind of anarchy that a student's voice is as great as a teacher's. I taught three years in a Christian academy, and this was many, many years ago. And I remember facing some of those difficult days. Man, has it escalated to the point of even being unsafe to be a teacher. Continuing on, wives submit to husbands. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack that, but basically use the word honor, respect. If wives do that, guess what? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
I would suggest this. It's really easy for a wife to honor and respect and submit to their husband when a husband loves their wives as Christ loved the church. Amen, guys? You know, before you. Amen, guys? Yeah. Gee, you know, wives, just do one of that. And then finally, citizens honor and submit to righteous laws. And why do I qualify it righteous? Because there are some governments that would say, uh, do this, and it's evil, it's wrong. In the book of Acts, we have case scenario two on that. We must obey God rather than men when men go away from God's laws. So just keep that as a side note. So why do we do this? Why do we live honorably, respectfully? Why do we esteem those God has put above us? Because of the Lord. Because how God has honored you through Christ. He gave his son. We do it to show our love and respect for Jesus. And friends, today, this is one of the great violations in our culture. Every person seems to have their own agenda and do what's right in their own eyes. And so you got to figure out the application, whether it be at home or at work, whether it be children to parents. Uh, it, it has far-reaching applications. You know, one of the things that I thought through this past week is my father served as a policeman in Buffalo, New York, his whole career. And I saw the days of the riots. I saw the hurt that it caused him as a policeman. There was a derogatory term. I don't know if it's still used today. He often would be called a pig. Okay, very derogatory, very hateful. Here's a guy who's given his life to protect society, to provide security and safety and, and bless a community and the disrespect that took place then. Guess what has happened? Again, it's escalated in a culture of anarchy. Police today are retiring early. You know why? The respect is not given. The submission and honor. And just because of a few bad apples, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what we say? Defund the police. That's insanity. And I rarely get into politics. But that's insanity. Who would ever think to defund the police? What would happen to your neighborhood? I have dear friends who live in Minnesota, missionaries. They've been here. We've supported them. Northwest Minnesota, gentleman a little older than me from Nepal. He's out in his home one day. Got surrounded by six teenagers. And they were trying to bait his garage and steal some stuff. And he tried to address it and confront it. Boom! One kid smacked him on the backside of the head. One kid picked out his brass knuckles and was ready to punch him out. He screamed. His wife, Roxanne, called the police. They scattered. A few weeks later, fast forward. This is true. This is Minnesota right now because it defunded the police. A few weeks later, his daughter's driving into her home in a nice neighborhood in Minnesota. They surrounded her car with guns, and they wanted to steal the car. Fortunately, she just did the right thing. She threw it in, in, in reverse, got out of there, and was traumatized for the next few days, couldn't even go home. That's anarchy. That's a lack of submission. And we're empowering that kind of behavior. And it's insanity. That's why this beautiful concept of submission to those in authority. And when we don't, folks, guess what? It creates chaos. So let God's spirit speak to your heart and figure that out, how to personalize that. Now, finally, and this is such an encouragement, God's will is that you suffer. 
Aren't you glad I saved the best point for last? Now, hear me out on this. Hear, hear me out on this, all right? This is not negative. This is positive. It sounds negative. It has nothing to do with health. It has nothing to do with finances. It has nothing to do with maybe what initially it sounds like. Let me show you what it has everything to do with. 1 Peter 3, 17 through 18. Peter says, it is better to suffer for doing what? Doing good. It's better to suffer when you're living righteous. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. Basically what Paul is, or Peter is saying is, listen, the righteous, sinless son of God suffered. Why? One reason for living righteously, for reflecting God's glory to the people, and they crucified him. If Jesus would suffer for righteousness' sake, we can come along and share in the sufferings of Christ. But let me remind you, it's for doing good. Sometimes we bring on our own suffering, and God will reveal that. So back to the Beatitudes, Jesus said, those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Guys, we're about 15 to 20 years into church history in the book of Acts right now, Acts 21. There's been three martyrdoms. Do you know who they are? Stephen was martyred for righteousness, for just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. James, the son of Zebedee, was martyred by Agrippa, King Agrippa I, the son of Herod the Great, who slaughtered the babies at Bethlehem. Second martyrdom. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, records that Jesus' brother, James, was martyred for the gospel. Right now, Luke knows this, Paul knows this, there's been three martyrdoms in the early church, first 15 to 20 years. It goes back to Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We've already said the word witness is martyros, where we get the English word martyr. You will be my martyrs. It's suffering for righteousness' sake. And we really have to say, Lord, if that day does come, I, I praise you. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. Yes, there might be some sleepless nights. And again, this is kind of rare for me, especially for those of you who are guests. I kind of don't talk a whole lot about <laughs> politics and governors and things like that, but I'm going to today. And so if you don't like it, you can talk to Mr. Austin Odding. He said he's, he's got my back today. Governor DeSantis. He's been in the news for how long? A long time, guys. But most recently, because he's providing protection for the children, he's giving parents the right to train their children in their sexuality. Guess what happens? The media mob says this. Don't say gay, Governor DeSantis. The bill never said that. It's nothing but a lie. And I think the governor of Florida has suffered greatly over the past many months for standing up for righteousness' sake. I pray for people like that who, who, who draw a line in the sand, who try to honor God, to do the will of the Lord. And you realize today, even in Florida, the bill got passed. It's a great bill. Honoring parents, honoring the kids. 
and both sides of the aisle said yes to it. He's taking a stand for righteousness, but he's paying for it. Let's intercede for folks like that who believe there is a right and wrong. There is a truth that should be championed, and especially for our kids. Parents, your job is enormous right now. It is enormous. You need so much wisdom and discernment to raise your kids in a God-honoring way, in a culture that just seems to be apart. So, you might be asking the question, how does this help me discover who I'm supposed to marry? What job I'm supposed to get, what career I'm supposed to pursue, where I'm supposed to move, live, serve. Folks, it it helps enormously. You know why? Here's my uh, thesis this morning. You do these five things, I believe this with all my heart, do what you want. Why? You're saved. You're set apart. You're spirit-filled. You've embraced the idea that sometimes doing right, it's going to cause you to suffer. You're submitting, honoring, and reverencing those who are authorities. So the blessing is do these five things, and you can do what you want. That's a gift. Therefore, the will of God isn't mysterious. It will just happen. Let me give you one verse that supports this. Joe, thank you. Psalm 37, verse 4. Check this out. Lifelong verse for me. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Take delight in the Lord, and guess what's going to happen? Your heart's desire is going to align with his heart's desire. Do what you want. I remember early on as a Christian, I was asking the question, gosh, is there one right girl out there for me? I mean, do I have to just find the one? I wasn't so much concerned about where to live and what job to do, but that one girl, I didn't want to mess that one up. You know what advice I got? Keith, don't worry about finding the right person. Keith, put your focus on being the right person. That's what this talk is all about. Being saved, being set apart, being spirit-filled, living submissively, and yes, at times, suffering for righteousness' sake. Friends, that's a gift, and it just frees you to enjoy the purposes and plan of God in your life. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you. Revelation, you've told us who you are and your will for our life. I pray in Jesus' name, your spirit would take these truths and apply them very specifically to each life this morning. We love you, Lord, and what a gift it is to know your will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.